So, um, when I was living in Cleburne, we went to our favorite Mexican food restaurant named Barreras. And I ordered um, a plate, and the waitress brought me my plate and set it in front of me. And she said, now be careful and don't touch the plate. It's hot. And so, um, like a good, obedient little boy... I grabbed the plate, just to turn it a little bit, and and I'll tell you this, it was hot, and it kind of burned my hand a little bit, and I started thinking like, now, why in the world did I touch the plate? She told me it was hot, and yet I still went and touched it, and it burned. And I I was thinking through the reasons, and and maybe it was that she told me, don't touch it, and I'm just going to show you who's boss. Maybe it was wanting to touch it just to see how hot it actually was. But nevertheless, I touched the plate. And and I think there is um, something that we've learned, because our kids do this as well, right? You tell your kids, don't do this. And you turn your back and your five-year-old's reaching their hand out just in time to see you stop. And I think the reason, there's a line there. And maybe for me there was a line there that wasn't there before that someone created. But there's something that I know and you know as well. Lines create tension. Lines always create tension. When you're 16 and learning to drive for the very first time, there is the tension of trying to stay between the lines. When your five-year-old, six-year-old heads off for their very first day of kindergarten and they sit down at their desk and their teacher puts a coloring sheet in front of them with crayons, there is a tension to stay within the lines. The battle at the Alamo was a tension of lines, where lines were drawn. And people were defending a line, and people were on the offense trying to cross that line. Football has offensive and defensive lines, and they call it the line of scrimmage. And whoever controls that line controls the game. It's winning the battle of the line. Because lines create a tension. Now, there is an internal tension that lines create, this internal tension with inside of us as we know where that line is and we're debating and having that inner dialogue. Should we cross the line? Should we go over the line? What do we need to do with our relationship to the line? And one of the leading emotions that comes with it is guilt. There there is the guilt of what happens when we cross over that line or the, the guilt that comes when we get too close to the line. And maybe the guilt once we cross over the line, is it possible to get back to the other side? So there is this internal tension, but then there is this also this external tension where where everyone else gets to see your relationship to the line. Have you crossed over the line? And we have people who try to blow the whistle and say, no, 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 no. You crossed over the line. You were late to class and you get a detention, because you crossed the line, because people are monitoring 
lines. And so there is an internal tension and there is an external tension. Lines create tension. And this passage we're going to look, look at this, this morning is really about the tension of lines. It's about how we deal with lines. And, and the problem so many times when we jump into the Sermon on the Mount is we just have this laser focus on what the commands are. But if you'll remember back a couple of weeks, here's how the Sermon on the Mount started. It started not with commands, but it started with blessing. And out of that blessing, those people that Jesus calls blessed, he makes a declaration about them, that they are now salt and light. And then to this group, he continues his sermon with this idea of the law. And the law is one of those ideas where to us, in our mind, it is all about lines, making sure we're on the right side of the line, making sure we don't cross the line, making sure if we do cross the line, we find a way to get back onto the other side of the line before anyone notices the internal and external tension of the lines. And this series is for the purpose of giving us a new filter through which we see the entire world. Because right now we've talked about so many lines that have been crossed over the last several weeks. You have government officials with COVID-19 saying, hey, there are some lines that you need to follow. And you have so many people in so many different places saying, I'm not following that. I'm going to cross the line. Or I'm going to stay way over here as far as I can from the line. Or in fact, if you're going to put a line there, I'm going to come as far on the other side of that line as possible. We live in a world right now where lines are being drawn everywhere, socially, economically, racially, politically. Everywhere you look, there are lines. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17, says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven going on, he says, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so for these Jewish people, there is a law. There is the law that was given um, by Moses from God to the people. 613 commands. Think of it this way. 613 different lines. You can do this. You can't do this. You can do this. You can't do this. You can do this. You can't do this. And the question was, which side of the line do you need to be on? And for centuries, people discussed and argued and debated and ordered the law. All 613, and every single rabbi had what you would call a yoke. It was basically their ordering of the commands. 
So if the law contradicts another law, which law supersedes it? Which law do you obey? Which law do you follow? For instance, if your donkey falls in a hole on the Sabbath, do you help your donkey out of the hole? Or do you obey the Sabbath because it is Sabbath and you need to keep the Sabbath holy? Which law, which line is the most important line? And so they would order them and rank them. One rabbi comes along and says the most important command is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. It was Jesus ordering the lines and saying, here is what matters. And so for these people, these lines were so important. But there's a problem with lines, I think, that you see right there. If, if you're ordering the lines and trying to decide what line is the most important, something has to happen. One, individuals determine where the lines are. So individuals say, it says, do not murder. So, what is it that you can do that's not actually considered murder? How close to the line can you get? So, we're going to give 39 lashes instead of 40. Because 40 lashes is just unreasonable. And so, one of the most common forms of punishment by the Romans in this Jewish world was the lashes. It was giving these lashes. It was ordering the laws. And the second problem is individuals determine what lines are the most important. So here's where you can stand in, in, in relationship to the line, but then the second one is, well, this line is more important than this line. If your donkey falls in a hole in the Sabbath, which command, which line is the most important? See, lines and our relationship to the line create this false sense of security. Because the line gives us a place that we can know where we stand. Right? It says, do not murder. That's a pretty easy line. Because we can stand pretty close to that and do a lot of things and still be considered right on the side of the line that we should be. Or do not steal. Do not covet. Do not commit adultery. I mean, we, we've created a world where we can get so close to that line and say, but, but everything is okay. Because I never actually stepped over the line. I never stepped across it. Lines create tension. And through the centuries, our churches have fought over the lines. In the way that we order the lines. In the way that we define the lines. Where people stand in relationship to the lines. And what I always heard when we come to the Sermon on the Mount because if this is going to be our filter, we need to understand what Jesus is doing here with the sermon. Okay. I, I have always been told that Jesus comes along with the Sermon on the Mount and he raises the bar. He, he redraws new lines. Almost as if to say that God's law that he gave in the beginning was not good enough. 
Jesus needed to give us this new law. But what if the problem wasn't the law to begin with? What if the problem was our understanding of the purpose of the law to begin with? What what if the purpose of the law in the beginning was not to make sure you're standing on the right side of the line? And to be able to call out people who are standing on the wrong side of the line. What if the purpose of the law from the beginning was to form a people that is holy and set apart? To to form a people who looks and acts differently from the rest of the world. Because from the very beginning, when God gives the law, he says to Moses, he says, Speak to the Israelites, Leviticus, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy because I am holy. Be holy because I am holy. And we had this idea that holiness meant where we stood in relationship to the line, right? If you want to be holy, that means you got to be perfect. you got to stand on the correct side of the line. But that word holy meant so much more than something about moral perfection. The word holy meant to be set apart, It meant to be different. Because in the very beginning, that's what God called Abraham to do. He said, I'm going to set you apart from all the other nations, and you're going to go, and you're going to be, for me, a kingdom of priests. You're going to be my representatives in the world so that the world sees you. And through you, they get a glimpse of me. Through you, they're going to understand what I am like. And I'm afraid for so long what we've done is we've simply replaced one law with another. We've taken this law that God gave and we've made Jesus this new and greater law. Because Jesus comes along, right? And he says, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, don't be angry. You've heard that it was said, keep your oaths. But I tell you, don't swear at all. What if Jesus is not redrawing and drawing new lines? What if Jesus is getting to the heart of what God intended from the very beginning? To form a people that is holy and set apart, that would be the salt of the earth, that would be a city on a hill, But here's the problem. Here's the problem. We love the lines. We have a love affair with the lines. Because the lines allow us to know where we stand. Or so we think. Right? Because I can tell which side of the line I'm on. But you know what that does not take? It does not take faith. It does not take faith trusting someone other than yourself to simply try to stand on the other side, on the correct side of the line. See, there was a heart behind the law from the beginning. And what Jesus comes along in the Sermon on the Mount to do is to go back to the heart of the law. 
because these Pharisees and the teachers of the law had created this righteousness. And if you can go back to to verse 20, Haley, for me, of, of Matthew 5. But I tell you that unless your righteousness... Your, your rightness before God, unless it surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Unless it surpasses. Now, in that culture, who was it who had everything right? Who, who had it that, that looked the part? It was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They had all of them numbered and ordered, and they knew where they stood And in fact, they set up laws for themselves to protect themselves from getting too close to breaking the law. So so for instance, it says, on the Sabbath, you should remember it and keep it holy. So there's a line. And they would step back and say, well, then if that's the line, then you can't walk one mile. You can walk um, .999999 miles but you can't step over that line because that would be too far. That would be considered work. And what the Pharisees and the the teachers of the law ended up doing was creating new lines to protect the law when the whole time the law was designed to protect their heart. It, It was to form them. It was to shape them. And it's to these people, he says, that unless your righteousness surpasses them, the ones who look the part, the ones who look like they have it all together, then you will certainly not enter the kingdom. of. If you want to be a part of this kingdom movement, it can't just simply be about looks. It can't simply be about just simply being on the right side of the line. Because here's, here's the problem. Because what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law did was they made the system their God. They they made the synagogue their Savior. They made their reverence and obedience their hope. They made their power their salvation. And they found so much refreshing, so much courage within their obedience to a system. And the system was never to be a point of salvation. The system was to form a holy and set-apart people. A people that God could look at and say, be holy as I am holy. Because Jesus comes along here at the end of chapter 5, and he quotes from Leviticus. In chapter 5, verse 48, be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. Which, isn't that Jesus redrawing the lines? Or is it Jesus trying to form a set-apart and holy people, a people that look different? What if righteousness, what if holiness is not about your relationship to the line? but it's about your trust and faith and hope in Jesus. What if the the law that was given was to form a people who would be different and set apart? And as Jesus talks about those who are blessed, he describes himself 
in the life that he lives. And then he makes a declaration about those people that we would call blessed and says they are the salt and the light of the world. They're different than everyone else and it can be seen. And I know to you it looks like it's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that have it all together. That are doing it right. But I tell you, there's a different way to live. Because they have lost the focus of the original purpose of the law. The law wasn't given to be a savior. In fact, it's a pretty terrible one. As we read in Galatians just a minute ago, Galatians chapter 5 says, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, which is part of the law, Christ will be no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. So why is the heart so much of the purpose? Why do we get to the heart of the matter? Because if you lose your focus on the lines, it makes grace essential. And I wonder at times if we've made grace just something that we have to fall back on just in case. We're we're obedient. And we try to get it right, and we try to get it right, and we try to get it right, but just in case we don't, there's the grace of Jesus. But that wasn't the point of faith in Christ. Because the point of faith in Christ was to say, God, I am without hope. And I can't do it on my own. And I need you in every single area and aspect of my life because I cannot be good enough. It was never about being good enough. It was about forming a holy and set-apart people that look different from the world. And what happens when we lose the lines? When we forget and, and we don't make them our focus? Then it makes the good news good again. Because I think a lot of times the good news that we give people is do this, don't do this. Go to church, read your Bible, pray, sing, worship. Don't do drugs. Don't smoke. Don't use bad language. Don't watch bad movies. Don't be a bad person. 
be a good citizen. And we've created this gospel of sin management where we say, I'm saved because I'm on the right side of the line. Here's what's so amazing about the cross. And here's what's so amazing about grace. Is Jesus on the cross plants himself in the middle of the lines. For people who stand far away from him, and people who are walking with him daily, and people who are just trying to figure out how close they can get for all of those people. These arms are outstretched and nailed to a tree. And this invitation to come to him and find healing and grace is open to all. And Jesus says to this crowd, I didn't come to get rid of, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. Because from the very start, it was always pointing to me. From the very beginning of time, everything in creation pointed to the Messiah. It pointed to the Savior. It pointed to you not being able to do it by yourself. It pointed to you being a set-apart and holy people formed by Him. And it gives us hope that there is grace that stands between the lines. But it creates a problem for us. Because I I don't know about you, but I love the lines. Because they give me a sense of security. They let me know where I stand. And my guess is, even if you're one of those who likes to cross the line, it gives you a sense of security. Because you at least know where the line is. You know where you stand. But grace through faith is all about trusting in someone outside of yourself. That is true surrender. That is truly opening yourself up and saying, Jesus, I need you. Because if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll trade one law for another law. And we'll put a fence around that law to protect us from getting too close when the whole time the law was designed to protect our hearts. Do not murder. Check. Do not commit adultery. Check. And then Jesus comes along. And says, wait, that wasn't the point. It wasn't about just not murdering someone. It it was really about not allowing your anger to control you. It, It wasn't about just not committing adultery. It it was about fidelity to the person that you've committed your life to. It, It wasn't about just keeping your word that you signed off on or swore by. It was about your word being a word of integrity and you being a person of character. 
there was always a bigger picture behind it, something so much more important. But when we focus on the law, perfection is the goal. And you are the only person capable of making yourself perfect. But when Jesus becomes the focus, holiness becomes the goal. And someone else is capable of cleansing you and making you holy. That is good news. And the question then, if lines create this tension and we have this love affair with lines, but lines aren't supposed to be our focus, then what becomes our focus? Our focus simply becomes Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Because everything in the law and the prophets pointed to him. That he would be the Messiah that would come and be the hope of the world and save the world from sin. Could you find hope in that? Could you find grace there? Because everything that was written was pointing toward Jesus. And as the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus. I know we want to focus on the line, but he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Focus on loving him and being like him and being transformed into his image. And you're going to look the part of holy. And you're going to look the part of righteousness. It's going to be formed in you. It's going to be built in you. Are you always going to get it right? Are you always going to stand on the right side of the line? No. But there is grace that you stand on now. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Because that is what all of the scriptures pointed to. And it doesn't stop with just the law and the prophets pointing to Jesus. Because in Matthew, he is Messiah. In Mark, he is the wonder worker. In Luke, he is the son of man. In John, he is the son of God. In Acts, he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. In Romans, he is my justifier. In Corinthians, he is my sanctifier. In Galatians, he redeems us from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he is the Christ of unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he provides according to his riches in glory. In Colossians, he is the fullness of the Godhead. In Thessalonians, he is the coming king. In Timothy, he is the mediator between God and man. In Titus, he is the faithful pastor. In Philemon, he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he is the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, he is the good and perfect gift. In Thessalonians, in Peter, he is the great shepherd of the sheep. In 1 John, he is love. 
In 2 John, he is love. In 3 John, he is love. And in Jude, he is the Lord coming with 10,000 of his holy ones. And in Revelation, he is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. And everything from the beginning pointed to him. And some of you right now have gotten tired and you're losing hope. And I would say fix your eyes on Jesus. Some of you are scared right now at the way things are in our world. And I would say fix your eyes on Jesus. Some of you need faith right now just to simply get through today. And I would say fix your eyes on Jesus. Some of you are struggling with anxiety and depression. And I would say fix your eyes on Jesus. Some of you are bound by guilt and you don't feel like there's a way out. And I would say fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the one. He is the way. He He is the salt. He is the light. Fix your eyes on Jesus and find your hope in Him. Here's the thing. I don't know what the next week looks like right now. I want to. I don't know what the next month looks right now, looks like, but I want to. I know I want things to be more normal, and they're not going to be. I know I want things to return to some sense of peace, and I don't know that they will. And in all that mess, it is so easy for our vision, for our focus to start going every other place but on Jesus. And right there at the center of our world stands a cross. And a Jesus who says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so I want to just I wanna ask you this morning, I, I, as Mike said, I'm tired. I'm, I'm worn out from the past four months. I don't know, it feels like the twilight zone. I don't know how long it's been. I think four months. But I want to just ask, If you find yourself in that place where you're tired or depressed or anxious or scared or tired of the way things are or frustrated, wherever you are, here, 101, 102, even at home, would you just stand for a moment? Because I want to pray for you. If you relate to that in any way. Just, just stand right where you are. Because my guess is there's a lot of people in this place who feel the way I do. My, my guess is I'm not the only one. And so here in 101, 102, and, and hopefully even you at home, hopefully you're standing if, if that's you. I want to just simply pray over you this morning. So would you bow with me? Father, we we stand here as a church, as people that you have called to be holy and set apart, to stand on your grace and to find hope in you. But Father, we try so hard 
to do it on our own. To make sure that we're in line with the lines rather than fixing our eyes on you. Allowing you to declare us holy. Allowing you to form us. And Father, I I know this morning there's a lot of people here who are tired and who are hurting, who are frustrated, who are angry, who are depressed, who are anxious. And Father, today I pray that your peace would fill our hearts. In a world where we seem to have lost control, the control we love to have so badly, Father, we simply kneel at your feet. And Father, we confess what we've, we've confessed from the beginning, that, that we without you are without hope. And Father, it's just moments like this, events like this in our world that remind us of that truth. We need you, Jesus. We need you. Father, would you fill us with your spirit? Give us faith. Let us find assurance. Father, let us be the light of the world that points to you, our Messiah and our Savior, as we worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.